Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the world of Kabbalah. This is lesson four. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this class is crazy. So if you're here, if you're here for the jokes, okay, that's not a bad reason to be here. Not a bad reason to be here. The jokes are always, I mean, I don't know, I'm just going to say this about myself. The jokes are always decent, if not really bad, right? Those are the two options. If you're here for the content, if you're here for the Kabbalah, get ready for your mind to be blown. I am telling you, I'm, I'm putting it out straight at the beginning. If you're expecting some easy breezy pop Kabbalah, that's not tonight. Tonight is legit Kabbalah. We're talking about like high level Kabbalah. My goal, and this is a bit, I'm telling you, this is like a big, a bit of a challenge. My goal, my task, my mission is to take some of the biggest ideas of Kabbalah and present them in a way that they make sense. To everyone here, we have whatever, we have a little less than an hour and a half together. So buckle up. I don't know what that was. That was like a buckle. Who does that though? Within a buckle, it's weird. Buckle up. Let's get started. Oh, good. Wow, that's a good, that's a good callback. Very good. It's not. No, this is Einstein. This is like high level. This is quantum Kabbalah. Said no one ever. Here we go. I want to begin with a bad joke. Door-to-door salesman is going around, as you can imagine, finish the sentence, door-to-door, right, as one does. And he approaches the house, and behind the door, he hears a bit of a ruckus. I know what you're thinking. Who used the word ruckus? I just did. He hears a bit of a ruckus, bit of a, you know, there's like, just a smattering of shouting happening. And he's wondering, like, should he ring the doorbell or not? But he's got to make a sale. So he, what's he selling? Help me out here. This is a joke. It's a collaborative joke. Vacuum cleaners. Excellent. What, what was the classic vacuum cleaner back in the day? Kirby? Kirby? Kirby. Okay. Retro what? Retro Lux? Electrolux. Retrolux. That's the new old one. All right, hold on. Kirby? Kirby. Okay. Kirby, huh? You sold them? A friend of yours. Did you buy one? He told them to get in the door. He knocked on the door. He said, Do you like Coca Cola? Yeah. And they said, Yeah. He said, I'll give you a case of Cokes if you give me a minute, a couple of minutes of your time. Really? And so. So what, said, what did you do for a so, Coca Cola? So anyway, he'd go back, he'd go back to his car. Get some dirt. He, no, no, he wouldn't get the cola. He'd start bringing in the samples. This, it was like three, four suitcases. Oh my gosh. And then once they were in, then he'd get the Coca Cola. Got it. But so you're in, you're in for a show. Yeah. All right. So this guy goes, All right, this is good. We're going to see if we can spend as much time on the, on the joke as the Kabbalah. That's the goal for tonight. So this guy comes, he, he rings a doorbell, and someone says, how can I help you? So he says, he's staying calm. He's like, can I speak to the head of the household? And the voice responds, that's exactly what we're trying to figure out. <laughs> all right, friends, here we go. All right. Okay, at least it landed after all that stuff. Kirby. Mom, was that uh, Pellet's one? Was that Kirby? Um, I, I think that's 
That's what I thought. Okay. It's a story with my grandparents, but that's another story. Um, I'll tell, if you remind me, I'll tell at the end of the class. Um, beautiful story. With my grandmother. Um, I'll tell it now. So it's this guy, young Israeli guy, back in Pittsburgh, like, I don't know, a few decades ago, was going around selling a, vac- selling a vacuum cleaner, probably a Kirby, according to my mother. Anyway, he, he knocks, he rings the doorbell at my grandparents' house. My grandmother invites him in, and she, he, he's demonstrating it. And my grandfather walks in at some point and says, uh, we don't need a vacuum cleaner. My grandmother says, but he needs the money. That was the, that was, they bought one. Anyway, that was the, that's a story, a very touching story. Um, so here we go. Today, we're going to explore Olam HaTohu, which translates in English to the world of chaos. The key word to remember tonight is tohu. Not tofu, that's another mystery realm. This is tohu, tohu. Tohu is chaos, and that is the major focus of tonight. What we're going to do is try to make sense of the chaos on a cosmic level and internal chaos in the forces internally that split us apart. But before we get there, let's kind of reset the room and figure out and and make sure we're on the same page as to how we got here. So I'm going to do a very quick recap of the first three sessions. In lesson one, and and remember the overarching goal. The overarching goal (coughs) is to present and to understand, to gain an understanding of the architecture of existence according to Kabbalah. How Kabbalah explains what does existence look like? What does, for lack of a better term, the matrix and behind the matrix, what does that look like? Where, where does it come from? How does it work? That's the goal of what we are studying and a major goal and objective in Kabbalah. At the same time, we have a simultaneous objective, which is to explore what lies under the hood of the human condition. So we're exploring the beyond and the within, and both systems parallel each other and mirror each other perfectly and exquisitely. You all know the map. You all have the map. Two sides. Left side is the cosmic realm. Right side is the human realm. And that's what we're exploring. Now, lesson number one, we spoke about the worlds of Bia, Bria, Yitzira, Asiya. They lie at the bottom of the entire cosmic chart. We are at the end of the world of Asiya, the world of action. We explained in lesson one that these three worlds represent, these realms represent separation, distinction, otherness, the emergence of otherness. As I said in the first class, to have a relationship, you must have another. Otherwise, it's just you. To relate, there needs to be another. God wishes to have a relationship, therefore there's a creation of other. Bria is the first emergence of otherness, and then Yitzira and Asiya, those other two worlds, are where the otherness forms a self-identification to the point that in our world we totally self-identify and very, in a very slim fashion do we uh, source-identify. That's, uh, that was on the cosmic level. On a personal level, it corresponds to the three garments of the, of the soul, thought, speech, and action that are likewise separate and discrete from the soul itself. That's why you can feel one way and talk a different way. You can have ideas and you can implement something completely different than the ideas that you have. There's a separation and a gulf between how you feel and what you think, say, or do. That was our lesson one. Lesson number two. We went higher to the world of Atzilut. In the world of Atzilut, there are the ten sfirot, the ten energies. And we, we explain that they um, emerge from the backdrop of, a, of the Aryan Sof, of the infinite formless light. 
And from that formless backdrop emerges 10 discrete entities that was symbolized by these circles. Chachma, Bina, Das, Chesed, Gevura, Tefer, Netzach, Yosod, Malchut. Those are the 10 energies. And we explained that on the human side, this, uh, these are the 10 powers of the soul that give us cognitive abilities as well as emotional abilities. The abilities to think and to understand and to process intellectually as well as the ability to feel and process emotionally. We also explained in lesson number two that identifying your dominant soul powers likely will help you identify your dominant soul purpose. In lesson three, last week, we spoke about what lies beyond the spherot, which was the Aryan self, the infinite light. We explained that the infinite light is called so because it is the light of the infinite and itself, it itself displays some qualities of infinity. We also described how it's the angels of the world of Bria that sense the light that they have as a limited light, recognize that there is a reality beyond the light that they see, and they say, Kadosh, 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 yearning for that infinite light. Holy, holy, holy means they recognize that there's something well far beyond what they themselves experience and enjoy. That was on the spiritual side. We also explained that this is the infinite light, the Aryan Sof, is the source of shalom, peace above. What brings warring, dueling divine ministers together in unity? It is the submission to a higher authority. In the space of something greater, one is able to drop their individuality and or that which splits and splinters one from the other. Standing before the king, the rivals cooperate. The same thing is true above. Chesed and Gvura work together, even though they are total opposites, in the space, in the face of the Aryan Sof. We explained, Oseh Shalom Bermamav, Hu Yaseh Shalom Aleinu. On, on a lower level as well, our shalom, our peace, shalom bayit, peace at home and peace elsewhere, happens when we recognize a higher authority. That is the, the meaning and the message of the chuppah, right, the Jewish canopy, the wedding canopy. It's about putting the, the groom and the bride underneath a larger canopy, something a bit transcendent that then can encompass them both. On a human level, we describe the power of ratzon, the idea of willpower and desire and how that is the transcendent soul power. You can have ideas and you can have emotions, but what you really want is what you're really going to get done. You can have all the ideas in the world, but if you don't really want it, then it's not going to get done. Nothing stands before or in, uh, um, nothing stands up to block what you really want, will. And so when there's a will, where, sorry, where there's a will, there's usually a faribble. I'm joking. Where there's, <laughs> that's a South African nod, right? Faribble is a big, yeah, faribble means a bit, of a, a bit of a friction. That's a joke. Where there's a will, there's usually some fighting, but no, that's the other type of will. Where there's a will, there is a way. That's the way it works. Which takes us, which brings us to this week's class. So on the heels of what I just mentioned, the idea that Ratzon, that what we want, um, is most easily attained because it kind of carries the rest of the energy of the soul. We therefore can ask a question. If at our core, if our core soul is comprised of spiritual DNA, then you would imagine that what the soul wants is a relationship with, like the angels, with its source. Why is it then 
that human beings find it so difficult to have and pursue spirituality unencumbered and uninterrupted. It seems like every time, for example, we wish to pray, we're also thinking about all sorts of other things that are distracting to our prayers. Yeah, part of us wants to go to shul, to go to synagogue, but part of us also wants to do something else. Why is it that it seems like there are many things that stand in the way of our deepest spiritual desires and get in the way sometimes of that application? So what is it that kind of creates that friction? That is what we are going to explore tonight as we examine internal human conflict. Not between people, but within ourselves. To do, is everyone on the same page with me? Yes? Just not even, even if not, I'm kidding. All right, so to do this, we're going to begin with a bit of an exercise. The exercise is found, is, can be found on page 111 in your books. So please open up to 111, and we're going to go through this together. Um, don't worry, although these are very personal questions, we're going to make this fun and not so personal, but personal at the same time. You'll see. Okay. Answer yes or no. We're going to do this together. It's a safe space, right? We're all in this together. Um, Jessica, do you want a copy? Yeah, I got an extra. I just print off extra ones just in case. Yeah, for sure. There's two types, salmon and steak. Yeah, no, take, for sure. Okay, you guys ready? <coughs> I am a selfish person, true or false? Yes or no? One second, one second, one second. Everyone's got to be honest. And I will tell you when you're being honest, okay? If I hear no, I know you're not being honest. I am a selfish person. Thank you very much. That's how, this is how this is going to work. Okay. I am not a selfish person. Correct. Yes. At times, I really only care about myself and my well-being. Absolutely. Some things are more significant than my existence. Absolutely. Yes. You guys see a pattern emerging here? Okay. Uh, The answer is yes to that one as well. Um, I would never knowingly do something to hurt another person. Yes. I know that I've hurt others in pursuit of my goals. Yes. I sometimes feel glad when someone else fails. Oof. No one wants to admit it. But if we had to, if we, not about us, do other people feel that? Yet, huh? In school. In school, grading on a curve. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, sure. Listen, if we need to blame our childhood, yes, if that's a safe... I'm all about creating safe spaces. If it's safe to point to the past, yes. Good. Um, I do not want to rejoice over someone else's troubles. Yes. When I want something, I find it very difficult to resist it, even when I recognize that it's harmful to my moral and spiritual well-being. Yes. I weigh short-term gains against the long-term harm they may invite. Yes. Okay, look. My goal was for you to say yes a bunch of times and also to point out something very important, and that is that we are very complicated. We're very complicated. On the one hand, we have tendencies of selflessness, giving altruistic, noble, purpose-driven tendencies, on the one hand. And on the other hand, it's funny, I was, um, I don't know, I don't really watch UFC. Anybody watch UFC? You know what UFC is? Like, oh, we spoke about this. Yeah, literally, like a few minutes ago. Um, the octagon, that whole thing. I know in boxing they would go in this corner and in that corner. Either way. Um, 
I only say that because I was flying to New York last weekend, and I was sitting next to a guy and his, and his kid, and they were going to Madison Square Garden Saturday night to the UFC fight. So we spent about two hours talking about all things UFC. Don't ask me any questions on it, because I don't necessarily remember it, but I, I did hear a lot about UFC. On the other hand, we have very selfish, or self, maybe that's not nice, self-centered, also not nice, self-oriented, self-centric tendencies. We care a lot about ourselves. And that is reflected, yes. Turn the camera back. We see the audience, and it's wonderful. <laughs> okay, thank you for letting me know. Ah. There we go. Hold on. Can we convince this that this is the right direction? There we go. Let me get this going. Thanks for letting me know. Okay, you guys with me so far? We have a dual personality. And the question that we're going to deal with is, where does this come from? How is it that human beings are comprised of, of two totally opposite tendencies? So to explain this, we're going to look at a major Kabbalistic doctrine, which is the doctrine of the two souls. By raise of hand, have you heard about this doctrine of the two souls? Okay, some of you, yes. Some of you have not heard that yet. By the end of tonight, you will definitely be very well versed in this idea. To describe it, let's get this ball rolling. Text number one, Mirav, if you don't mind, please read text one, page 112, two souls. It begins with the first of our souls. Perfect, thank you. So let me describe what's going on here. Kabbalah teaches that the human being is composed of two completely different souls. Okay, and this is very important. The divide is not between good and bad. I know what you remember in the cartoons, right? Remember the cartoons, right? You had the little, the angel and the little devil. That's not how Kabbalah divides it. And by the way, that is divided in Judaism. Yetzir Tov, good inclination. Yetzir Hara, evil inclination. That's not Kabbalah. Though. Kabbalah says on a more subtle level, this is not the divide between good and evil. This is the divide between self and selfless between me and between my purpose. Let me explain. The lower soul, the lower self, is the part of us that's concerned with self. Self-preservation, right? Our own happiness, our own safety, our own security, our own feelings, etc. Is that bad? No. Could that lead to something pretty ugly? Absolutely, right? One of the questions was, have you ever, I'm paraphrasing, hurt someone in the pursuit of your own goals? It can happen, right? Present company obviously excluded, wink, wink, right? It's possible, which means that even though the animal soul, and this is called the animal soul, the lower self, is not evil, that's why it's not called the evil soul, it's just called an animal soul, and by the way, it's called animal soul, because not, there's nothing wrong with animals, but an animal lives by instinct. If it's hungry, it's going to eat. Self-preservation. If it feels threatened, threatened, it's going to attack. There's nothing wrong. As I mentioned, I was talking to you guys before, 
Um, for our honeymoon, my wife and I, we went to Johannesburg. And of course, where do we spend some time? Kruger National Park, right? We went to Kruger. And <coughs> you know, you're looking for the animals. I think it was the summer. I think the animals were, oh, that's the winter. I don't even know. Whatever. We, didn't, we saw some animals, not a lot of animals. Um, if, the, if the lion is like pouncing on the buck, buck, right? And ripping it apart, is that evil? What do we call that? <coughs> dinner. We call that dinner. Self-preservation. Correct? It's hungry. Is it evil? Is it horrific? No, it's normal. But you know what happens when a person does that? Not, okay, not physically, but conceptually. When a person conceptually tears someone apart for their own benefit, we call that something horrible, right? Abuse, manipulation, whatever it is, right? Harming someone else for your benefit, you can't do that. Human beings have also animal tendencies. The animal soul is the lower part of self that is all about Self, self-preservation, it's not necessarily evil, but it's the source of all evil. The second soul is the higher self. It's a, it is the inner, it's the internal drive that motivates us and that pushes us to think not about ourselves and what we need, but rather about something greater than ourselves, what we are needed for. Ask not what's your country, right? Ask, right? Don't think about what you need, but rather what you're needed for. That's the higher self known as the godly soul. So in summation, not the end of the class, but in summary, quick summary, the animal soul is synonymous with the lower self, self-orientation, self-centeredness, self-ish, self-preservation, it's about what I need, what I want. If I'm threatened, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll attack you. If I feel hurt, or if I feel, you know, in any way, I may, I may come after you. It's about taking care of myself, as opposed to the higher self, the higher soul, the godly soul is about having a divine orientation, not a self orientation, a divine orientation. It's focused on mission, purpose, God, holy things, the other, etc. It's not about me. It's about you. Does that make sense? Two selves. Two selves. Which explains, and Kabbalah spends a lot of time on, yes. Oh. Good question. Is this for everybody? Right? Or is it only for a Jew? It says the Jew. So what, what's the deal with that? The Kabbalists were writing this. All of Kabbalah was basically written for a Jewish audience. Why? Because that's who they were and that's who was reading what they wrote. They were writing for the community. So when they're writing and they throw in the word Jew, most time, I mean, the understanding is that's who their audience is. Point number one. Point number two, the mystics do speak about this. And they say that although different people have different souls for different missions, as we discussed, every human being has a different soul, a soul print, right, for their specific mission, certainly the Jewish mission, which is composed of 613 commandments, as opposed to someone who isn't Jewish that has a bit of, uh, you know, uh, not the biblical, not the Torah and mitzvot obligations. So every soul is designed um, uh, for its, you know, optimized for its function. So there are differences. But overall, every human being has these two personalities, the selfish and the selfless, the animal and the godly soul, two different souls, by the way. 
This is what I like to recall, what I like to call, not recall, what I like to call the reverse fight club. Reverse fight club. I think I wrote it down in my notes. What was my line? Oh, maybe just reverse fight, fight club. That's it. I didn't have another word for it. This is the reverse fight club aha moment right now. Remember we were speaking in previous lessons about how the soul has 10 soul powers? Yeah, about that. Turns out it's a little bit more complicated. Remember Fight Club? Okay, if you haven't watched Fight Club and I'm going to ruin it for you, I apologize, but it's been about 20 years. So I don't actually feel bad. Fight Club, if you recall or not, is where you have these two guys that are fighting, but by the end of the film it turns out, it's the same guy, right, fighting himself. Kabbalah, I said I'm going to spoil it, and I don't feel guilty. That's my animal soul talking. I don't feel guilty. Okay, now, the reverse fight club, aha moment, I'm just going to call it that, is that we think we're fighting ourselves. Turns out it's not one, there's two. You see what I did there? That didn't land the way I wanted it to land. Look, Fight Club is you think there's two, there's really one. Kabbalah says you think there's one, there's really two. It's not that we have one soul inside that can't figure itself out. Yeah, this moment of the day I feel holy and noble, and the next moment I don't care about anything else other than what I, what I need and what I want. It's not that I have one soul that's tortured and, 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 and can't figure out what it wants. I literally have two completely different soul personas. So do this with me. Pull out your map. Remember we, we had these 10 soul powers on the right side? Guess what? 10 times 2. There's two identical, not identical, there's two souls, each composed of 10 soul powers. Chesed. Chesed is love. Chesed is love. What do I love? Depends on the soul. My animal soul loves stuff that benefits me. My godly soul loves the greater good. That's how it works. So there's not, it's not that I have one chesed that can't, one, one um, emotion of love that is just tortured and torn and can't figure itself out and is like totally messed up. No, no, no. I have two completely different soul spaces internally. I have a godly soul and an animal soul. And each has the full suite of emotions, love, discipline in completely different spaces. So again, focusing on chesed, which is love. I can love selfishly. It's like fish love. I love this story. Fish love. You know what fish love is? Yeah. You guys, you guys know fish love, huh? I didn't hear what you said. However, here's the deal. Oh, no, no, no. No, that's not fish. Fish love is the story of that happened in a yeshiva somewhere. Dr. Torsky writes about this. So there was, a, there was a, um, a rabbi who walks into the cafeteria at the yeshiva, at the Jewish school, and he sees one of the students enjoying his lunch. And he says to the student, are you enjoying the lunch? And the student says, yes, I love fish. And the rabbi says, you don't love fish. Not at all. Because if you loved fish, 
you would be feeding the fish, caring for the fish, right? Protecting the fish. You don't love the fish. That's, that's the last thing you love. You love fish? Who does that to someone they love? Who does that? You love it, so you're going to cut it up and slice it and eat it? Well, that's horrific. That's absolutely horrific. Who does that? you got to be sugar. You don't love fish, he says. You love yourself. Okay, maybe he didn't say it so angrily. I came out a little angry. Right? It's, you don't love fish. You love yourself. You love how fish tastes. You enjoy fish. It's not the same as loving fish. We make that, we use the word love. It's crazy because we use it in an absolutely inverted way all the time. I love chocolate. Really? Really? If you love chocolate, you would put a display up. I don't know what that would look like. That would be weird. I'm not saying to do like a, a, a chocolate seance or anything like that. It's bizarre. But anyway, I, right, I, somebody says, I, I love you. Um, you know, you make me feel alive. You make me feel like life is worth living. So one second, pause. You love them or you love how they make you feel? Those are two completely different statements. Because loving them means you care about them. But loving them because they make you feel a certain way means you really love yourself and you love them only vis-a-vis that they make you feel a certain way. What happens if and when they might not make you feel that way? Do you still love them? So there's two types of love. There's selfish love. That's the selfish. Look at that, fish. Love, it's even in the word. Which is the lower love, the love that comes from the animal soul, and then there's selfless love that comes from the godly soul. So here's the point. When we talked about how we have a soul inside that has 10 powers, I omitted the fact that we have that times two. We have a godly soul and an animal soul, and each has the full suite of soul powers. That's a big idea. That's a big idea. Now, as we saw in the first text, we have the two souls, the animal soul and the godly soul. Which one comes first? Do you remember the order? Remember what he said? What's the order? You would think, right? You would think, well, I just gave it away. He talks about the animal soul, and that's the second soul is the godly soul. Why do you think he talked about a first and a second soul? I ask you a question. Okay, here's a question. What do we learn first in life? Do we first learn, or not even learn, do we first care about our hunger or someone else's hunger? What comes first? Our needs. And then as we get older, we start caring about, hopefully, about someone else, which means there's a first and there's a second. The first soul is literally... The animal soul, the self-oriented soul. The second soul is the divine-oriented, the purpose-oriented soul. So far, make sense? I disagree. Because it's said that when a baby is inside the mother, an angel is whispering the entire Torah to it. But then when it's born... I think the angel kisses it and, and it taps it on the slip. Yeah. Based on that, that first. Good, good. So I, I was speaking about once the child is born. 
Yeah, you're saying. In the, by the way, speaking of pregnancy, what do you call twins? Womb mates. <laughs> anyway, um, one second, one second, one second, hold on. Here's, here's actually why I mentioned that. This week's Torah portion, Todot, talks about the birth of twins. Which twins? Yaakov and Esau, Jacob and Esau. And the Torah tells us a story that the mother, um, uh, their, their mother, Rebecca Rivka, so she's pregnant and she's having a very difficult pregnancy. And she goes to seek out the local prophet to find out what's going on. Today, we would probably go to the doctor and have an ultrasound, but there there was a, um, there, there was a, you know, an oracle, a prophet who weighed in on the matter. And what does the prophet, what does the oracle tell her? Mazel tov, help me out here. You are pregnant with twins. And according to Kabbalah, that is literally the message for every one of us. person wonders, how, what kind of person am I? Sometimes I feel noble, and sometimes I feel so selfish. We tell that person, Mazel tov, you're pregnant with twins. I mean, not literally, but you have twins, you have dual souls. You have an animal soul and a godly soul. It makes sense. By the way, not to justify any negative behavior, but it makes sense that you're drawn in two completely different spaces. Just like Rebecca is wondering what's going on. She has, there's one, uh, you know, unborn child that's pulling one way and one that's pulling a different way. We all have those dueling desires and drives inside. But again, the, the animal soul is self-oriented. The godly soul is selfless oriented, number one. Number two, the animal soul comes first. The godly soul comes second. We cry about our own food before, you know, in, in our development, before we cry about someone else's lack of food. And the third point, <clears throat> which of these two souls is stronger? Animal or godly? Let me set a scenario for you. Let's say you're a football fan. Let's just say. Let's say you're a, I don't know, let's say you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I'm from Pittsburgh, in case you, you didn't know. Right. Let's say, horrible example. Let's say, let's say your team is, at the, is going to the Super Bowl. Let's say you have tickets on the 50-yard line, like best ticket, seats in the house. Let's just say it's the fourth quarter, and it's the, the, the score is tied, and your team is about to kick a game-winning field goal, and you have, in this stadium, there's kosher wings and kosher hot dogs and beer and whatever your favorite, <coughs> excuse me, snacks, food and beverage. You have all that. And you're so excited. Can you imagine the level of intensity and excitement? Now, pause for a moment. Think about Yom Kippur service, right? <laughs> Yom Kippur service, right? And it's a great sermon. How excited. It's a great, it is legitimately a great sermon. How excited are you? Which has more energy? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. The animal soul, with some rare exceptions, if you're more excited about Yom Kippur than the Super Bowl, I applaud you, but you are in the minority, right? That is straight up the minority. The animal soul is, I'm going to use the word physically, I don't mean that literally, but it's just, it's just more powerful than the godly soul, which is the more of a menschy soul. And, and that's because animals are stronger than human beings. That's just the way it works. You don't measure cars in human power. I've never seen HP refer to human power. I've literally never seen that. I've seen horsepower Right, that car is what? What's like a thousand horsepower? Is that a lot of horsepower? 
I don't, you don't see like, oh, that's a million human power. It's like, it would take a lot of humans to get that thing moving, right? That's not what we say, because animals are stronger. You don't plow a field with humans, you put an ox. In fact, that takes me to the next text. Let's take a look at text number two, the power of the beast. Tom, please take it away, 113. The ox's strength produces abundant crops, Proverbs 14, 4. That is to say, the animal soul, uh, is, the animal soul drive is more potent than the godly soul. Yep, there we go. The animal soul has a more fierce, powerful, just, just a stronger drive than does the godly soul. But both have the full suite of soul powers. They have ideas and feelings and desires. All of that is paralleled in two spaces. We're running, let's say, let's use the term of hardware and software. We are one hardware, one body, but we're running two operating systems inside. We have the godly operating system and the animal operating system. It's like we're running parallels. There's Mac and, and, uh, and um, sorry, there's Mac and there's Windows. I'm not going to say which one corresponds to which. I'm just saying, yeah. It almost feels like the animal soul is the part of us, like the free will part of us, because that's... And then the godly part of us, not that we can't maybe choose to do chesed or daven or whatever it is, but like that's the part that maybe Hashem made it stronger so that we can fight. It's, it's harder to fight. I mean, like if we, were, if, if we didn't have that part, we would just be then angels. Right, right. So you're saying the, the animal soul provides the foil, right? Provides the, the contrast and the test to our more godly or divine tendencies. That's, and that would be an accurate thing. What we're going to explore today is a simple question. And it's a, it's, it's, I mean, it's conceptually a simple question. It's not a simple answer. Um, you know, everything that's within the human being is created in parallel um, or exists in parallel to the cosmic scheme. So on the divine side, there's one set of, of spherot. Do you see that? There's one set of, of, um, of divine energies. But on the, on the human side, we just said that there's two sets. Where does the animal soul set come from? I mean, if God is God, and if the spherot are divine, and if all that is true, then a um, very simple and basic question is, where does, um, where does the animal soul come from? Does my question make sense? Yeah? If we have ten divine energies, and those are mirrored in the soul, so then we should also have ten divine energies, and that we'll call that the godly soul. Where does the animal soul come from? Where does the duality come from of two separate soul systems if it's all coming from oneness? On this side, there's oneness. It's just God and God's, God's uh, powers. How on this side do we suddenly have two separate systems? Where does the second system come from? Now, you, so Bobby, you said the second system is intended to provide a little contrast and provide a little challenge and some free choice. That's all true and fine, and I agree with that. But the question is, on a, on, a, on a practical level, where does that second system come from if there's only one system on the other side? Yeah. Well, then it's kind of necessary because if you, say, are in the wild and you need to kill something to feed yourself, you oh. need that animal soul. Good, excellent, good. So Jessica's saying that, listen, if it was just the godly soul giving away everything, you wouldn't survive more than five minutes. You need the animal soul to ground you and keep you alive so that you can do good things, and that's true also. So both of those points are very true. 
My question is, I guess, a little bit more technical. Okay, it's needed for various reasons, and both are true, but where does it actually come from? I mean, if, ever, if, if, if the human being is almost like a mirror to the divine, so it's like you have a reality on this side, and you're holding up a mirror. If it doesn't exist here, it can't exist here, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's parallel. So if you have one set of sfirot, one set of divine powers in the world of Atzilut, where do you get two sets on the human side? I understand the need for it, perhaps, but where, do you, where does it come from? So what... Huh? From Hashem. No, no, yeah, correct, correct, yes. No, everything is coming from Hashem. The question, though, is, if you're mapping it out, where does it come from? Yes. Rabbi, would it be from another one of the um, worlds? Like the, 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 the world of creation, world of formation? No, because this would be, yeah, good, good point, those lower worlds are the source of thought, speech, and action, the garments of the soul. We're, t- we're matching kind of apples to apples, the, div- the Svirot of Atzilut to the Svirot of the human being. And again, how do you go from one system to two systems? Where does that... Now, you could say God can do anything. God can just, just split the system into two, and, that, and, and that's conceptually true. But today, today we're going to get to a very, very deep and powerful understanding of the origins of our two soul systems. And it's going to be dazzling. I'm telling you it's going to be dazzling. I'm also telling you this is a bit of a, of, a, of a heads up. You're going to have to help cup. That's Yiddish for you. are going to have to follow along as, as I take you on this journey. So let's jump in because I want to make sure we have enough time to really execute this properly. So let's jump right in. Point number one. Point number one. Um, actually, let me ask a few more questions. Okay, number one, where do the two soul systems come from as opposed to one soul system? Second question, why is the animal soul, why is that created and the first consciousness in the human being before the godly soul? And by the way, according to Kabbalah, the animal soul is fully felt within us at birth, whereas the godly soul, the more, the more selfless self, uh, oxymoron there, is more felt by bar and bat mitzvah. What is a bar mitzvah? What is a bat mitzvah, 12 and 13? What is that stage of life? It's when you start feeling a little bit more selfless. You can appreciate, right, the idea of giving, the idea of, it's not all only about you. The irony is, kind of bar mitzvahs, at least in America, becomes a whole party and becomes all about the kid. But whatever. But ideally, like, it's, it's supposed to be a time where you introduce it. By the way, there is a practice uh, in America, in, in the U.S., that is phenomenal. Mitzvah projects, right? The bar mitzvah, mitzvah pro- that's fantastic. Because you're introducing to the child, it's not just about, don't think just about yourself, think about a noble cause, something positive in the world, etc. That's always very, that's, that's appropriate for the age. So the question then is, again, just going back to the questions, where, does, where do two souls come from? From God's one system, how do you get two souls? Number one, number two, um, why is the animal soul uh, first, be, and it, why is it the first consciousness, and then only later does the godly soul consciousness come in? Oh, and also, why is the animal soul the more powerful soul, which we addressed a little bit, but we're going to go a little bit deeper into that. So for all of these questions and more, let's pres- I want to present the following idea. Okay, Let's pause everything and now focus on this idea. Ur and Kali, light and vessel. Kabbalah says everything that exists is composed and comprised of the duality of light and vessel. 
What's light, light and vessel? It can mean different things in different contexts. I'm not trying to be vague. I'm just telling you straight up. Light and vessel. Everything exists as an interplay between light and vessel. I'm going to give you a few examples. Soul and body, light and vessel. Cup in water, light in vessel. Idea in language, light in vessel. Does that make sense, that last one? Yes? Not physically. Could be, could be physical. Could also be conceptual. Let me give you an example. Let me focus on that last example that I gave. Right. So that's the literal, that's the literal, initial, literal, you know, depiction. But it, it also works on a much more subtle level. So let me explain. You have an idea. But it's in your head. And you want to share it with me. How are you going to do that? Right. So language comes in. This is where language is huge. Language is, and I'm speaking. I'm literally making sounds, and hopefully you're understanding what I'm thinking. And that's, that's crazy. What's happening? You're hearing sound waves, vibrations, whatever it is, and you're reverse engineering and, and understanding what I'm saying and then what I'm meaning. The actual sound would be the container, the vessel, the container of the ideas. But there's two separate things. I'll give you another example. You have... You have, you have, you have a, oh, this is cute. Okay, you have three letters. You write, take a pen and take a piece of paper, you write down three letters, D-O-G. What does that, what does that spell? Dog, great. Now, one second. The, the, the markings that you put on paper are not a dog, it's just markings. Okay, but every letter means something and put it together, it means something, it's a word, it's English, dog, great. Right. Okay. Perfect. So that's the, that's the vessel, right? So the vessel, the language, the letters, right? The letters themselves is the vessel that contains the idea, the word, the meaning of dog. Good. What happens? What happens if you scramble the letters? What happens if you scramble the letters? Or, or, <laughs> correct. There's a lot of options. And they don't have the same light. Are you with me on this? If you, if you reconfigure the vessel, you don't have the same light. What's the point? The point is, there's two separate things that are happening. There's the content, the meaning, and then there's the vessel that's carrying the meaning. Let's use a completely different example. You have an emotion. You're, you're in love. And you're a bit musical, and so you compose a song. Well, guess what? Your emotion is the light and the composition. It, the, the, the melody or whatever, the, the composition is the, uh, is the thing. You have an idea and you're a writer. Tom, I'm looking at you. Right, you're a writer, right? So you have an idea. There's an idea. That's the content. And then there's the container for the content. Those are two separate realities. Content and container is light and vessel. And it exists on every level. Does that make sense? It's almost like, even on a physical level, you can't see light until it hits something. Is that true? I think so. Well, let's just run with it. Let's just pretend like we know science, right? Right. Light doesn't show up until it reflects on something, until it hits something, until it's contained on some level by something else. There's always light, not literal light, but light and vessel. Orot and kalim, lights and vessels. Make sense so far? If you want to see a list of 
light and vessel constructs. Take a look at page 115, figure 4.1. A book contains ideas and words, light vessel. Melody contains emotions and musical notes. A business, a vision and a strategy, light vessel. Relationship, love and action, light and vessel. Religion, beliefs and rituals, light and vessel. Yeah? Good. Now, in the world of Atzilut, okay, in the world of Atzilut, which is on the left side of your Kabbalah map, you see the world of Atzilut is in green, and you have the ten, the ten Svirot, the ten energies of Atzilut. Kabbalah teaches, oh, oh, one second, look at the map. Did you notice that the map, these circles on the map have two colors? Do you notice that? Do you know why now? Oh, you should know why now. Uh, no, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. Light and vessel. Every sphera, the spherot, are a composite of light and vessel. Let's read this in Kabbalah. Um, Alice, I'm up to you. Text number three. Please read this from the Zohar. We're back to 114. The king is present within the ten attributes of Atilu. He and his vessels are one in that world, and he and his lights are one in that world. Thank you. The Kabbalah teaches there's God and his vessels and God and his light. In other words, every sphera, all of these ten energies in the world of Atzilut are a composition or a comprised of light and vessel. In this depiction, the light is depicted by a gray top of the circle. <coughs> and the vessel by the lower part. Now, when it comes to light and vessel, here's the deal. Here's the deal when it comes to light and vessel. Um, what makes a sphira a sphira? What makes this energy chesed, kindness? What makes that energy gvura, discipline, is a product of the vessels, not the light. I'll say that again. What differentiates one sphera from the other? What makes this chesed and that gvura? What makes this wisdom and that uh, ambition? What differentiates? Not the light. The light is pure. What differentiates one sphera from the other in the world of Atzilut are the vessels. The vessels create the differentiation. To give an example of physical light. We're not talking about physical light, but I'll give you an example of physical light. In each corner of this room, there are stained glass windows in the little circle at the top. You see that? Okay. When light shines in at the right time of day, light shines directly in through those stained glass windows. It creates, it, it shines and it lands on, well, this carpet is a little bit colored. But imagine if it was a white floor or you have a white tablecloth and it's, so what, what, what is the light going to look like? How many here? Colored. Is the light colored? Well, that's a complicated question. Light has all the colors. Okay, whatever. But imagine, let's, let's get less scientific. So you have the pure light, the white light, shines through yellow glass, comes out the other side looking yellow. What made it yellow? The vessel. The light is pure. It's the vessel that differentiates it. Which means, which means that the light in each of the ten spheres, the lights are pretty much all the same undifferentiated, pure, orange, like we spoke about last week, pure light, undifferentiated light. What creates the differentiation is 
The vessel. The vessel creates a differentiation. When that light shines through the vessel of Chachma, it's wisdom. When that light shines through the vessel of Chesed, it's kindness. When that light shines through the, the vessel of Gevura, it's discipline. Orot, Kelim, lights and vessels. What creates a differentiation? The vessels. Let's read this inside. Mark, please read text 4a. You know what? I'm going to give you the full suite of four. How does that sound? There's 4a, 4b, 4c, and 4, but not all at once. Just 4a for right now. 116. The light itself is in a state of simple abstractness. The vessel imposes a definition on the light in the form of particular attributes of wisdom, kindness, and so forth. Okay, thank you. The light is pure and abstract, undifferentiated. Think of it as, I don't know, stem cells. Okay, let's not get so scientific. Right? It's undifferentiated light. But when it shines through the vessels, it picks up definition and attribution. Suddenly now you have distinction. Wait, it's not just one formless light. You now have 10 specific divine energies. You have Chachma, Bina, Dat, Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Netzach, Hod, Yisod, Malchut. You have all these 10 different energies. What created the differentiation? The vessels. You guys with me so far? It's like a prison. Good. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So the light shines through that prism, that tinting, that shit, whatever it is. It picks up that definition. Boom. And that is depicted again for, in some way, in some you know, form in this, on this map. With the two colors, we have the gray that's the same, and then you have different colors, which, all right, fine. Next point. You got a health cup. I told you in the beginning, you have to hold on to this. We're going somewhere. Trust me. We're going on a ride together. Stay with me. I got the wheel. Next step. Next step. The light doesn't want to be there. It really doesn't. I told you last week, Ar me'ein hamar. Light always resembles the source. But there's some other truth about light that I haven't told you that I'll tell you right now. Light Real light always wants to go back to its source and be subsumed in the original. There's one, there's one thing on earth, one, only one thing that I know of on planet earth that actually possesses that nature physically. It's called fire. Fire is the only thing I know of that resembles this desire to revert back to its source. Fire does not want to be here. How do I know this? It's not here until you force it into being. Point number one. Point number two, once you force it into being, you have to literally hold it down with a very complex mechanism of wick and fuel. Number three, what does the fire do? It consumes whatever you put to it. It eliminates until, guess what? It eliminates itself. It is the only, be I don't know what you want to call it, being, entity, creation, created entity, whatever. It's the only thing that I know of in the physical universe that literally self-destructs. Everyone says, oh, fire's destructive. No, it's not. It's not destructive to other things. It wants to undo itself. You happen, or it happened to come into proximity to something else. The only way it can get rid of itself is by getting rid of whatever is around it. Are you with me on this? Fire simply does not want to be here. Light also, by its nature, doesn't want to be contained in a vessel. 
and differentiated. Light, pure light, wants to go back to its pure source and be subsumed within that pure source. It's like the beam of light that's emanating from the flashlight, and all it wants to do is crawl back inside. With me? So how is it contained in the vessel? Furthermore, the vessel also does not want to be, does not want to be informed and infused by the light either. The vessel wants to be a vessel. It doesn't want to contain anything. I know vessel implies you're containing something. The vessel doesn't want to be burdened by some other force that's higher and greater than it. It would rather just devolve to its, you know, to its uh, vesselness and not be burdened by something higher than it. Let's read this in the text. Mark, you got the fours. All right, may the fours be with you. Okay, 116. 116, here we go. Here's about the lights. The lights don't want to be contained. They don't want to be defined. Go. The lights are absolute, absolute by their very nature are abstract. They also aspire to return to their source and have become wholly subsumed within their sublime origin. Accordingly, they are far removed from creating the worlds of Maria, Yitzira, and Asiya. Rather, the lights must first install themselves into the vessels of absolute in order to energize the creation of the world. And they don't think, and they don't want to be installed in those vessels. What does light want to do with a vessel? You're a pure light, right? You're a free light. You want to be tied down, right? Ball and chain to a vessel. You now want to become only one form of light. That's what you want? You're, a, you're pure light. Pure light, undifferentiated light. And you want to become differentiated? No, you, you want to become defined? No, you don't. guys with me what about the vessels i'm glad you asked the vessels have the same issue let's continue 4c yeah 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 mark lights. you got this i believe in you lights and vessels are inherently opposites the lights by their very nature are abstract they also aspire to return to their source and to become wholly subsumed within their sublime origin by contrast Vessels have a defined nature. They desire to retain their configuration and are naturally inclined to descend to lower realms. The vessels want to go lower. The lights want to go higher. This is the worst shidduch ever. Shidduch means match. This is the worst idea ever. Are you sugar? The light doesn't want to be there. The vessel doesn't want to be there. And you're going to put them together? Good luck. How does it work? How does it ever, how do you have spherot? Spherot are a product of light and vessel merging. How do they merge? No one wants, they don't want to hang around each other. The lights want to go back home. The vessels want to go lower. They don't want to be around each other. You know what the answer is? There's a powerful answer. The, the one and only answer of how they can coexist, not only coexist, how they can work together so seamlessly, right? Um, hand in glove, light in vessel, to the point that you can't, when you look at, if you were to look at one of the Sfirot of Atzilut, you would look at Chachma, you wouldn't be able to split the light from the vessel. It would just look like Chachma or Chesed. It's like when that light shines through that glass and is now blue, go split that apart. I'll wait. Go, 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 go split that apart. You can't. No. 
I mean, maybe you can, I don't know. But you can't just rip it apart. It's now, it's now a colored entity. How do they get together if they don't want to be around each other? 4D is the answer. Mark, please, take it home with 4D. They are entirely submitted to God's intent for creation. Namely, that the universe should become an orderly habitat and not be left in chaos. Says Kabbalah, the way this works, the merging of light and vessel to produce the Svirot in Atzilut, that happens because each party is loyal to the intent of God. God wants the light to go down, go west, my son, or five go west, or somebody, right? God wants the light to go down into the vessel. God wants the vessel to contain the light and, and be loyal to the light. And God says, I know you, on your own you want to go in opposite directions, but here's what I want. I want, you to, I want you all to merge, to be together. Give me an example. Give me an example. So let's say there's a couple... Husband and wife, they're hanging out Sunday morning, and the husband is enjoying spending time together with his wife. Okay? And then at some point, wife says to husband, um, can you please go to the corner store and pick up the Sunday paper? I want to read the funnies. No one says that. First of all, no one says that anymore. Maybe. I don't know. Right? And so the husband says, um, I, no, I, I don't want to go. One second. The husband says, no, I don't want to go. Why don't I want to go? I don't want to go because I want to spend time with you. And the wife says, I know, I, I, I'm very honored and touched that you want to spend time with me, but I really don't want you here. <laughs> and it was, I want you, no, not in a bad way, but I want you, I'm asking you to please get something for me and then you can come back, but I, like, no, I want to spend time with you. It's like, the light wants to spend time with God, wants to go back to the source. And what does God want it to do? To become differentiated and become a sphere. So the light says, oh, no, 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 I want to go back. I want to be subsumed within your light, within the divine source. And the divine source says, bro, there. Not here. There. I'm literally projecting you that way. Don't start, you know, climbing back up the beam. Go back, stay there and integrate. And God says to the vessel, I know you want to go down, but your job is to integrate. When light and vessel has a little bit of humility to drop what they themselves want and instead to be loyal to what they're wanted for, then they confuse. Does that make sense? They can fuse, not confuse. Just to be very clear. Yes? Yes, 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 yes. This is when it works. And it worked in the world of Atzilut because another term for the world of Atzilut is the world of tikkun. Tikkun means repair. When things are working, when it's fixed. But before tikkun, there was another reality called the world of tohu. And I know you know that word because I said it before, at the beginning of the class. The world of tohu is, means literally the world of chaos. What is chaos? Here's what chaos is. Chaos is when the light doesn't want to be there, and the vessel doesn't want to be there. And that whole relationship of light and vessel completely breaks apart. In other words, you guys with me on this? It's when the light asserts what it wants more than what God wants it for. And when the vessel asserts what it wants more than what God wants it for. And instead of 
connecting in one seamless unit, they split apart. The world of... Uh, yeah, I'll give an example soon. I'm going to have a few different examples. But let's see where this is intimated, hinted to, in the Torah itself. It's in the first few verses of the Bible. Take a look at text number five. Okay? Let's take a look at text five. Um, Natan, please read text five, the first three verses of the Bible. In the beginning of God's creation of the heavens and the earth, the earth was chaotic and desolate. Darkness was on the surface of the deep, and God's spirit hovered over the water. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Before, thank you. Before there was light, in verse 3, you know what there was? Chaos, desolation, and darkness. And God's spirit hovers over the water. What, is that? what does all of that mean? What's going on? What is the darkness? What's the chaos? What's the desolation? What's the spirit hovering? What does that mean? Kabbalah explains as follows. Before the world of Tikkun, which is our reality. That's right. That's what we have depicted on this chart. That's the world that worked before that in a galaxy far, far away. Sorry, <clears throat> in a galaxy far, far away. There was another reality called Olam HaTohu, the world of chaos. And in the world of chaos, the lights and the vessels did not work together. Why? Because the light doesn't want to be held by a vessel. And the vessel doesn't want to hold the light. And because their own nature was so powerful, the lights were so powerful, the vessels were so powerful, they split apart. The vessels shattered, the light was hovering, God's spirit hovered over the water, there was no integration, it was split apart. Let me give you an example. You know, there's a thing in philosophy, I don't know, I, I'm, all right. there's a joke about a philosopher. Let's, 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 I don't know if there's a thing, but here's a joke. The guy meets his buddy after 20, hasn't seen him for 20 years. He says, hey, what's going on? I haven't seen you in 20 years. He says, you know, I'm a philosopher. For the last 20 years, I've been pondering, I've been pondering the purpose of life. He says, no, so what'd you discover? He says, the meaning of life, life is like a bridge. The guy says, how so? He says, you know what, maybe it's not like a bridge. <laughs> okay, what's the point? Philosophy is about philosophizing, not about being tethered down into, into a conclusion. By nature, philosophy is exploring. The light is exploring. It's abstract. It's pondering ideas. You want to limit me in a, as a vessel into a certain conclusion and pin me down? I don't want to be pinned down. That's what that looks like. Light, not wanting vessel, looks like I want to remain abstract. I told you the joke about the I told you the joke about the rabbi and the cement. We did that one. We did that one. Okay, good. <coughs> joke number thirty-four. You know that joke about the two guys stranded on a desert island, and they told so many jokes that they would put numbers. So instead of telling the joke, they just said number thirty-four. Ha! <laughs> the guy laughs. Ah, forty-four. He laughs. One day, a third guy gets gets marooned on this island. He hears the back and forth, so he decides to pipe in. He's like fifty-five. No response. 73, garnish. They say, what's wrong? You don't know how to tell a joke. <laughs> Good, now we can breathe. We got a joke out. Let's go back to lights and vessels. Lights, that's how you tell it, right? Yeah, there you go. Light, right, by nature, doesn't want to be tethered. Don't, don't pull me into a conclusion. 
The vessels also don't want meaning. Listen to this, chat GPT. Chat GPT, this is a real story. I'm sure you guys heard this story. A few months ago, a lawyer, I think he got in trouble, almost maybe disbarred. What happened? What happened? The lawyer uh, um, wrote something or argued something in court and cited a precedent. A case, someone versus someone, right? The court ruled in this precedental case, the following. Turns out, never happened. That case was fake. You guys heard about this? The case that this lawyer cited was fake. Where did he come up with it? ChatGPT. He put it in ChatGPT. You know, what are cases? And ChatGPT made up a case. What happens? ChatGPT is good at taking ideas, right? And then running with it. Yeah? What happens when the vessels are out of control? You with me? And they're no longer tethered to the light. I've asked ChatGPT, at least the previous iteration, I think three, matters of Jewish law. It will spit out things that are absolutely false. Where's it getting the information from? It has enough that it's working off of it, but at this point, the vessels are running the show. There's no light that is anchoring it into a higher reality, a higher truth. The vessels are, the vessels are out of control. Are you with me on this? Now, it doesn't mean that that can't be corrected or tweaked. This is not a, a condemnation or this is not, this is not, a, this is not a, uh, a soapbox on, on, on AI. This is simply to give an example. Bobby, you asked for examples. Philosophy that, doesn't w- that, that wishes to be untethered would be light not seeking vessel. Vessel not seeking light would be words that don't have any meaning. Words that have no content anymore. Right? Gestures that also have, I apologize, gestures that have no meaning, etc. So this is, the, the, and, and so light is pulling one way, vessels pulling another way. In the world of chaos, they don't work together. Let's look at what that looks like. Okay, let's read a text or two of what that looks like. Um, Barry, please read text number six from Rabbi Chaim Vital, the student of the Arizal, The Breaking of the Vessels. Yeah, page 120. Thank you. The light's pulling one way. The vessels are pulling another way. The vessels are now empty and broken. That's chaos. The light is on its own. It's remaining ethereal. It's remaining ungrounded. That's the spirit hovering over the water. Are you with me? In the primordial world of Tohu, this is very important. Let's summarize this. In the primordial world of Tohu, there was a problem. There was light. There was vessel, but they did not integrate. The light was on its own. The vessels were on their own, and the whole thing fell apart. Now, why did this happen? Let's take a look at 7a. Talia, please read 7a, page 121. As a result, they failed to deviate from their default nature for the sake of submitting the light wanted to remain abstract and remain sublime and undefined because that's its nature i god wants it to integrate it's not about god what do i want i want to remain abstract 
the vessels had the same problem. Text 7, Tal, if you don't mind, please read one more. Text 7b. The vessels could not contain the land because they were not sufficiently submissive to pair with the light's intense abstractness. They acted like a weak resistant to the flame resulting in the flame slipping away. The light didn't want to integrate into the vessel, and the vessel repelled the light. Both of them were acting on, on their nature or by their nature and not based on divine higher intent. Does that core piece make sense? I told you before that the nature of light and vessel is to light pulls up and vessel pulls down. And I asked you, well, how do they ever integrate? And the only answer was, and this was text 4D, the answer was, when each one drops their own nature and submits to a higher plan, the plan is that they should integrate. I, this one wants to go that way, that one wants to go that way. It's not about them. It's about what they're wanted for. And so they integrate. What happens when they don't care about what they're wanted for, they care about what they want? Then this one pulls that way, that one pulls that way, and the whole thing breaks apart. That's the world of Tohu. And now you're probably wondering, after all of this, what's the point? Here you go. Tohu means chaos. Chaos is a product of everyone doing what they want and not what they're wanted for. That creates chaos. The world of tikkun, the world repair, is when everyone works to their intent and purpose. Those two realities in the cosmic realm are mirrored perfectly within us. I asked you before, where do we get two souls from? On the divine side, there's one source. I mean, there's one set of spherot. Turns out, there's two. There's the world that failed and the world that worked. Yes, the world that failed, failed because it was self-oriented. From that comes our self-oriented soul, known as, help me out, the animal soul. From the, that's tohu. Tohu, correct, correct. That's the big idea. The world of Tohu, the world that failed, the world that broke apart because each one wanted what it wanted. I don't work together with you. I want what I want. The selfish world is the source of our selfish soul, i.e. the animal soul, and the world of Tikkun, of repair, that works together. Why do they work together? Because they submit to a higher plan. Because it's not about me. It's about what I'm, want, what I'm needed for. That's the source of the godly soul whose very psychology, whose very, whose very why and wherefore is all about what I am needed for and not what I want. Does that make sense? Two realities, tohu, tikkun, chaos and repair, are the sources of animal soul. Animal soul and godly soul. Correct? If you were to draw a parallel, tohu, Chaos, animal soul. Selfish, selfish. Tikkun, selfless. Godly soul, selfless. Which soul, which world came first? Which world came first? In the story of creation. Chaos or order? Chaos. Which soul comes first? Animal soul. We read that in text one. Right? Animal soul comes first. Which world is more powerful? Which world is more powerful? Is it more powerful to assert yourself or to submit to someone else's plan? Which is more power? Which is more raw? Assert yourself. Which is more powerful? Toho chaos or order? Which is more powerful? Chaos. Which soul is more powerful? Animal soul. Are you with me on these parallels? Yeah. Chaos 
<coughs> is asserting self. Animal soul, asserting self. Chaos comes first. Animal soul comes first. Order comes second. Godly soul comes second. It's submissive. The nature of submission is it's less powerful. Right? You're yielding to, submitting to a higher authority. It's less powerful. Make sense? Yeah? You got, yes? I asked before a bunch of questions. Where does it, why are there two souls? Where do they come from? Why is one first? One second, why is one more powerful? They're all answered. Literally, our uh, soulscape, which is now we know is actually two souls in, in that internal landscape, literally mirrors the first three verses of Genesis. There was chaos, desolate, void, darkness, spirit is hovering because each energy is totally selfish. And then God said, let there be light. We got to fix this. We got to have submission. The light needs to integrate with the vessel and everyone's got, less you think, less we think it's a mistake. It's not a mistake. These two realities of chaos and order produce the two realities internally. We need to, we discussed this before why there needs to be two, but where does it come from? It comes from these two systems within creation, the so-called failed world. It's not so failed. It's just selfish. This the failed world and the orderly world. Yes, 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 yes. Good. You with me? All right. I told you, you had the health cup for this. It's a, it's, a big, it's a big thread that we're drawing here. Now, let's take a look at text eight. I'm going to read some text quickly. Okay? Stay with me. 125, text number eight. Yeah, 125, text number eight. Our godly souls... You know this already. You could write this text. At this point, you could write this. Our godly souls are products of tikkun and are therefore inherently subservient to God. Why? Because the light and the vessels of tikkun were subservient to their purpose. The lights integrated with the vessels. The vessels integrated with the light. Why? Not because they wanted to. They were subservient to a higher, higher intent. Great. That's like the godly soul. Our animal souls and bodies are products of the broken vessels of Tohu. Okay. We're going to stop right there for this text. There's another point made, but that's not germane. That's not necessary right now in what we're doing. Okay. Does this make sense? Yes. I have another question. We answer, we explain that why are there two worlds? Why Tohu and then Tikkun? Because they're the source of the animal soul, of the, uh, of, yeah, the animal soul and the godly soul. But we can still ask the question, why do we need two souls? Why don't we need two souls? We answered it before a little bit. I want to share another, another take on the answer. Why two souls? And it's very simple. Think about the names in Hebrew. Tohu is chaos, first world. <coughs> the second world is the world of tikkun, repair. The word repair indicates that there's a restorative purpose of that second world. And the same thing is true of our second soul. There's a restorative purpose and intention and mission to our second soul, which is the godly soul. God gives us an animal soul that's a mess. When I say a mess, the animal soul, I mean, it is. You know what it's like to follow your animal soul around all day? Oh, my God. It's like imagine you're walking a dog. And it's schlepping you around. This is not, dogs are wonderful. But just imagine the dog is schlepping you around the neighborhood. You're not walking the dog. It's walking you. If you're, if you're trying to placate your animal soul, you know what it's like to live your life animal soul centric? 
Every time you see something and want something, you're going to have to fulfill it? Oh my God, good luck. Geval, good luck with that, right? It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So as an antidote, not an antidote, as the tikkun, literally the repair for the animal soul, we've been given a godly soul. And the nature of repair is not to override it and not to banish it, not to slay it. It's not about slaying the dragon. Tikkun means to fix it. The best term I can think of, think along the lines of animal terms, would be to harness it. The purpose of the two souls is for the godly soul that's more submissive and therefore more meek, maybe that's not the right word, tame, to literally harness the ferocity, I think that's the word, of the animal soul. That's the goal. For the godly soul to harness, tikkun, to harness the energy of the animal soul. What does that look like? There's many different expressions of this. When we do a mitzvah, and we utilize our body and animal soul, right, in doing a mitzvah. What we're doing is we're taking the force of the animal and elevating it to a space of a higher purpose, a higher power. That's incredible, right? Tikkun, we're fixing, we're, repair, we're working on the, the inner animal, the little shepsila, the little, uh, right, the little animal inside. Number one, number two, there's a beautiful story. I'm going to read this story very quickly. Very quickly, it's, it's toward the end of the class. Maybe it's a text 10. Text 10, page uh, 127. <clears throat> Rabbi Gershon Ber of Pahar deeply understood Hasidic philosophy. Was a man of few words. Nevertheless, he had a habit of translating everything into Yiddish. I heard him counting the Omer on the first night, translating each Hebrew word into Yiddish as he did so. He did the same on each subsequent night of the Omer, translating everything into Yiddish. He once asked Rabbi Peretz, the rabbi of Neville and later of Chernigov, whether it was permissible to translate every prayer into Yiddish, including portions of the prayer during which one is forbidden to make an interruption. Rabbi Peretz asked, why would you want to do that? He responded, my animal soul understands Yiddish better. Here was a man who understood Hebrew. He read Hebrew, he understood Hebrew. But you know what? His animal soul understood Yiddish better. That was his native tongue. Yiddish was his native tongue. And so he wanted to literally translate every word of prayer into Yiddish. Why? To bring the animal soul on the ride. Prayer is not leaving the animal. right? It's not like I have my dog and I want to go into a bar and grab a drink. So I leash the dog to the thing outside. I run inside, grab a beverage, and come back outside. That's not what prayer is. Bring the animal with you. Explain to the animal the value of prayer. Or more, more importantly, the value of God. Explain to your animal. Tame your animal. And finally, there are opportunities throughout every single day Elevate the animal inside of us in every in daily mundane activities. So, for example, go out to eat or invite people over to your house to eat. And utilize that opportunity to connect with friends and family and to uplift them in matters of, I don't know, meaning, spirituality, Yiddish, whatever it is, but make it something of meaning. 
And what you've done is you've taken an animal activity, consumption, and turned it into a transformative activity, an elevatory, elevatory activity. You've transformed it into something divine and not simply mundane. This is why we were given two souls, to start off with a selfish orientation and then to, to, to utilize our second soul, the godly soul, to harness, to tame, to uplift, but then to really utilize the force of the animal on the side of holiness. I want to conclude with the following story. The Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, once met with a young man who had kind of grew up in, you know, in a Hasidic family, but had gone on his own path, kind of away from the tradition. And uh, this was a young man who was very, very powerful, like a powerful guy. So he said to him, so the Alter Rebbe says to him, um, you know, when you have a very fast horse, right? You have a very, um, you have a very fast horse. Um, you know, you can get to the destination faster, right? He says, yeah. He says, well, what happens if the horse goes off track, right? It's a very fast horse. What happens? So what's the downside? You go off track also faster, right? But what's the flip side to the flip side? You get back on track faster also. The animal soul is powerful, but it's about putting it on the right track. We each have a godly soul to put on the right track. So I want to conclude with this following message and really a blessing. For too long, negativity has made the headlines. The bad stuff usually makes the bigger splash. It's time, it's time that positivity, that light, make the headlines. Sometimes we think, I'm going to do a mitzvah, I'm going to do it quietly. Because I want to be humble. I want to be humble. I don't want everyone to know. I'll give tzedakah, but I'll do so quietly. I'll do so on it. It's time to go big and make some noise. Make some noise in the holy realm. You know the high priest in the, in the, in the holy temple, the ancient holy temple? He was the first one, the first human being to wear bell bottoms. No, really. He wore, he wore um, a me'il, like a, he wore like a robe, and at the bottom of the robe were little bells. The original, the original bell bottoms, original bell bottoms. And the commentators ask, why in the temple, a place of sublime spirituality and holiness, he's walking around making noise. Fair, who does that? It's like me going around all day with a triangle. That's the only thing I can play, right? Like, who does that? And you know what the point is? When you're doing spiritual things, make some noise. Don't be so quiet. Why let the noise only um, happen with the negative stuff. Go make a splash. And so my blessing for us all is that we should make some noise and flood our world with light, the larger world and our inner world. And with this, we will realize the purpose of creation and our creation, which is tikkun, which is to fix, to correct, to harness, to tame and redirect the energies of the animal within and without. And let us say, Amen. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for lesson number four. We talked about a lot of things. Thank you, thank you.